Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, hey, y'all. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, We have guests with us this morning from as far away as Romania to South Florida to Philpot and everywhere in between. So wherever you are from, we're honored you're here, whether this is your first time or thousandth time. uh, Welcome. And uh, we're excited to get into God's word together. We're going through the book of Judges and we had a little break from that last week, um, but uh, we're back into the book of Judges today, so turn there with me in your Bibles. We're going to be kind of looking at an overview of the first few chapters there, mostly in Judges chapter 2, um, but we learn from the book of Judges that there are different seasons and stages of life that God's people go through over and over again. I want to give you a few humorous but real examples about the stages of life. Somebody said there are three stupid stages of life. In your teenage years, you have time plus energy but no money. In your working age years, you have money and energy but no time. In your old age years, you have time and money but no energy. (laughs) If we could just get them all three lined up at the same time. Somebody posted on Facebook the other day. They said, you know, the thing I miss most about my childhood is having energy, and uh, some of us can relate to that. Someone else said there are another three stages of life. First, there's birth. Second, your back hurts, and third, you die. (laughs) Uh, That's a true story. I don't know when it happened for you. For me, it was at 40. I start getting injuries while I'm asleep at night. You know, like, how did I pull my hamstring while I was asleep in the bed? But somehow that's possible. I like this one, ladies. Uh, One woman wrote this. There's five stages to a woman's life. First stage, ladies, you grow up. Second stage, you fill out. Third stage, you slim down. Fourth stage, you try to hold it in. Fifth stage, you say, to heck with it. So wherever uh, you are on that, uh, God knows and God sees and God cares, right? So life is all about going through stages, Uh, All throughout the book of Judges, God's people go through this vicious cycle of four different stages over and over and over again. And as soon as they get through one, they go right back into the next. So what I want to do is take a quick snapshot of the four stages of God's people in Judges, but really throughout the whole Old Testament. And then I want to make the case today that the four stages God's people went through in Judges are the same four stages we go through today as believers. So here's here's what you're going to see all throughout the book of Judges. Number one, stage one, God's people are going to sin and rebel. It's the second stage. God's going to discipline his children. He's going to allow them to be taken over and oppressed by another nation. But then in stage three, God's people are going to cry out, beg for mercy. Oh, God, we're so sorry. Please deliver us. Then in stage four, God's going to hear their cry. 
And God, in his faithfulness, is going to raise up a judge. We're going to meet judges like Deborah and um, Samson and uh, all kinds of Gideon, many of them you've heard of. God's going to raise up judges to deliver his people. But then, after God saves them with a judge, they're going to get stupid again and start sinning again, and then go all the way back through the same vicious cycle over and over again. All right? So that's that's kind of an overview of what Judges is, and I want us to look today at each of those stages. Here's the first stage. Stage one is God's people sin and rebel. God's people sin and rebel. So in Judges chapter one, you see the continuation of God's people conquering the land of Canaan through military means. Remember, God had delivered God's people uh, out of Egypt from slavery. He sends them to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But when they get there, there's all kinds of other nations, and God is going to say, drive those people out so that you can have the nation just for yourself. So that's kind of the context. Now, today, chapter 2, verse 1, here's what happens. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and the angel of the Lord said, so when it says the angel of the Lord, this is really God speaking through this angel. So hear this is the voice of God himself. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land, that's the promised land that I swore to give to your fathers. God said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but, now here's the sin, Israel, you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So God's calling them on their sin. Now skip down to verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That's the false gods. Pastor John did an excellent job two weeks ago of walking through idols and these false gods they were going after. Verse 12, and God's people abandoned the Lord. This is the same God that just delivered them out of slavery, but now they abandoned the Lord. The God of their fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples, the Canaanites and all those false gods who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So again, here's the context. Going into this first stage, God's been good to the people of Israel. Remember back in Genesis, we learned that God chose Abraham and said, Abraham, through you, you're going to have millions and millions of descendants, and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. We see in Deuteronomy, out of all the people God could have chosen, he chose the people of Israel in a way that he didn't choose all the other nations. So God's been very good to them. They were small. They were insignificant. They didn't have great military, but God said, I'm going to choose you, Israel, and, and build my kingdom through you. So God's been good to them. God delivered them out of slavery. He's blessed them. He's forgiven them of their sin over and over and over again. He gives them this all this land where they can build homes and farms and, and raise kids and grandkids. I mean, God's blessed them. But then the people of Israel presume upon God's grace. 
Or you could say they take advantage of God's faithfulness. Or as my mama would say, they get too big for their britches. They, they begin to drift from God. They get complacent. They, they forget how good God's been to them. They get comfortable. And they start going after other things besides God. Isn't this our story too? Don't we forget all that God has done for us, in particular through Jesus, even if we live a very difficult life, physically speaking, maybe finances are always short and maybe we're sick. Like even if from a worldly perspective, we're suffering. Jesus died for our sins and we have a home in heaven. But how often do we forget that? We forget the grace of God. And we, like Israel, get complacent. We get what the New Testament refers to as lukewarm. We get what other biblical writers say, sleepy, spiritually speaking. We begin to lose appreciation for what God has done for us in Jesus. And the gospel doesn't amaze us anymore. There was a time when we sang the hymn, Amazing Grace, a tear came to our eye because we're like, I was that wretch that God saved. I was delivered out of hell. And it moves us emotionally. But now we sing Amazing Grace or songs about gratitude where I lift up my hands and pray. And we literally sing the words, I lift, what else can I do but lift up my hands to the king? And we're like, there ain't no way I'm lifting my hands. So the gospel just doesn't move us like it once did when we were fresh out of our sin. And so we begin to take our eyes off God, turn to the things of this world, and all of a sudden, Jesus and Jesus's grace and presence is not enough to satisfy us. At one point, Jesus was all we needed, and maybe we were even on fire for Jesus, and we were telling other people about Jesus, and we couldn't wait to go to church to worship God and We'd love to give our money to God. We, were, we loved God. But now we need other things more than God. We need more recognition. We need more comfort. We need more pleasure. We need more money. We need more success. We need more kids. We need more grandkids to be happy. We need more vacation time. We take Jesus off the throne of our lives and we, we turn to other things to satisfy us. There's an, an idol is not just a golden calf. An idol can even be a good thing that becomes a God thing. Like if you got a golden calf in your living room and three times a day you bow down and worship it, that's pretty easy to call that one out. You know, like if you got a statue in your front yard and you're like doing this number, like even the neighbors know you're an idolatry. But in the West, for people like us, idolatry usually looks like good things that become God things, like kids. If our 
kids or grandkids are the center of our life. They're idols. Our marriage can become an idol. And if our marriage isn't just perfect or if our spouse isn't just like an angel all the time, it's like we can't function, we can't be happy in life because our marriage has become more important to us than God himself. Used to, God was enough. And even if things at home are kind of rocky, that stinks, and I'm working on that, but Jesus, you are enough, but not any longer. Our career can become an idol. Health and fitness can become an idol. Being known, and and this is for the younger generations in particular, being known and seen on social media, the selfie generation has become an idol. For young people, is your identity wrapped up in how many likes you got on Instagram? Does your joy go down if nobody responded to your post on Snapchat or Young people don't do Facebook anymore. I mean, like, but, you know, whatever the newest social media thing is. Or is God enough that God sees you and God knows you, even if nobody shares your post or likes it? What, what about hunting and fishing and sports and travel ball becoming an idol? Oh, yes, he did just go there. And yes, he will be seeking new employment tomorrow morning. (laughs) I mean, I got my own stuff I get put in there. So I'm not, because anything, even a good thing that becomes a God thing is an idol. So I wonder how many of us this morning are in stage one of this vicious cycle. And this, again, stage one is the stage of sin and rebellion. And I don't want you to think, oh, well, I'm not out getting naked and robbing liquor stores every night. I'm, I'm not in rebellion. Because rebellion against God can look like going to church every Sunday, but Jesus is not on the throne of our hearts. Don't think sin and rebellion is just what those people are doing out there. You know, like crazy people on the West Coast. No, sin and rebellion looks like there might be a Bible on my coffee table and I go to church every Sunday and I've never been incarcerated and I got a wife and kids and a white picket fence and I don't get drunk, but we can be living in blatant sin against God because man looks at the outside and Facebook looks at the outside and the perfect family we appear to have, but God sees the heart And our hearts can be cold and dead and lukewarm and sleepy. And that is sin. And so I wonder how many of us are there this morning, meaning anyone or anything but Jesus is on the throne. If anything is captivating our affections more than Christ, we're living in sin. The stage where any sin we are holding on to with clenched fist. And we are very selective with our sins, aren't we? There are certain sins we all resolve. I'll never do that. I would never cheat on my spouse. 
I would, you know, I would never steal or kill. You know, I would never do these certain things. But it's the sins like jealousy and pride and envy and bitterness that nobody sees but God, the devil, and us. And they're just as wicked as prostitution. Growing up Southern Baptist like I did, we just used to call it being backslidden. It's, it's just any posture of our hearts where we're sleepy spiritually, where the things of God don't awaken us like they used to. For some of us, it's a particular sin. For some, it's an idol of some kind. And for some of us, because the Holy Spirit is present where God's people gather, and particularly when the word of God is open, the spirit of God is here. And so if you're feeling any of that right now in your spirit, if something's kind of like pricking your heart or stepping on the toe, as we say, um, I would assume that's the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you to pay attention to what's happening in your heart right now. Please, let's not be guilty of the sin of assuming the preacher's message is for somebody else. Friends, if we're here this morning, um, God's got a message for us. So don't worry about what your spouse is getting out of this or your boy. I hope my boyfriend's listening to this. Man, I hope she's paying attention. No, like what is God saying to you? Is there any sin or idol that's coming to mind? Is it bitterness? I think that is the poison that is destroying more Christian lives than meth. Or unfaithfulness in a marriage. Because bitterness is a sin that nobody sees but you, God, and the devil. It's drinking poison waiting on other people to die. And how many of us have just dug in our heels and said, I will not, I cannot forgive them. And friends, if we are in that posture, Jesus has incredibly strong things to say, like in Matthew 6, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. But we don't want to talk about that. Because, you know, once saved, always saved, and all these things. But Jesus is like, no, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, however you want to work that out theologically is fine, but Christ says you won't die and go to heaven bitter. Gossip, premarital sex, Pursuing an unbiblical divorce. Friends, falling out of love with someone is not grounds for divorce. Being happy in a marriage or unhappy is not grounds for divorce. Pornography. Could it be that some of us have just resolved, I'm just never going to be able to kick it. I'm just always going to do it. Friends, that is a very dangerous place to be. 
kids, teens, disobeying or lying to our parents, disrespecting, dishonoring our spouse or significant other, drinking too much. I know this is bourbon country. It's like basketball, bourbon, and horses. You got to know where you live in Kentucky, and those are the things that can easily become idols. So I know I'm walking on a lot of landmines this morning, but some of us, I, but I, I just don't think I'd be faithful as a pastor if I didn't address the, the common sins of God's people in a particular context. And some of us have developed a dependency upon alcohol that is very dangerous for our soul. And in the name of Christian liberty and freedom, some of us have overcorrected from legalism that we were raised in. We were burned by the, the hellfire brimstone preacher that said, if you drink, you're going to hell, and it's the devil's use and all of that. We've, we've overcorrected from that form of legalism, and we're abusing Christian freedom and liberty. Friends, if you have to drink to relax, if you have to drink to sleep, there's a good chance you have a problem. If we're drinking multiple nights a week, we probably have a problem and we've been desensitized literally in the senses to the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, meaning you can't be both at the same time. And our kids and grandkids are watching us. I have a grave concern about this. I think too many of us were raised in a generation of legalism, and we're so darn committed to not having our kids be Pharisees and legalists that we've gone to the other extreme, and now our kids are abusing freedom in Christ. Parents, if we're allowing our underage kids to drink, I know it's fall break and it's fun and we go to the beach and we want to, you know, well, he's 18, but he can have a few, no big deal. We need to repent before God and before our kids and ask their forgiveness for failing them as parents. We don't have freedom in Christ to disobey God's law. And Romans 13 says we submit to the laws of the land. If your kid's 18 or 19 and you're buying them alcohol, you are sinning against God. I would rather not be the cool parent than to lead my kid into sin. For others, friends, we're just neglecting reading our Bibles and praying. We're just not pursuing Christ. I've been so convicted of this lately. I've been more excited most days to go exercise than I have been to read my Bible, and that is a shame for a Christian, much less a pastor. For others, we're neglecting loving and serving our church. For some friends, listen, COVID did so many things. Uh, many, many professing Christians are no longer even attend church every Sunday. And somehow we've developed the idea that this is okay. Where did you read in the Bible it's okay not to go to church? Could somebody give me a verse? 
if we are physically sick or homebound, elderly, that's one thing. Like my mom watches from home every week. Many of our elderly members watch from home every week and we love them and miss them and they would give anything to be here. But they, they literally can't. So that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about people that are physically able but just who would rather sleep in and wear pajamas than come to God's house. It's sin because the Bible says clearly in Romans 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In other words, go to church. Watching online is not church. The biblical definition of the word ecclesia or church is the gathered, it's the assembly, it's the physical gathering of the people of God. I just fear we become numb and desensitized and some of us can stay home and maybe watch online or maybe just not show at all and we come to church once or twice a month and we're in sin, we're in idolatry and nine out of 10 times, A drift from the church is a drift from Christ because the church is the body of Christ and you can't sever Christ the head from his body. You can't get Christ and not the church. That is not biblical Christianity. Friends, some of us need to repent of falling out of love with the bride of Christ. It's one thing if you don't love me, but if you got an issue with my wife, Annie, we got issues. Some of us say, I love Jesus. I just don't like his people. Then we got a problem with Jesus. There are people that will look for the perfect church their whole life. And you will keep making excuses about, well, this church doesn't do this and this church doesn't do that. And some of us hop from place to place and we'll go to Pleasant Valley for a year, then we'll stop coming for six months. And we just, friends, that, the problem is not the church, the problem is our hearts. If you can't find a church, that's not on the church, that's on you. There is not a perfect church in Owensboro. I could right now give you a thousand things wrong with our church, starting with the preacher. If you knew all that goes on in my heart and mind, you probably wouldn't come back here, just to be honest with you. But friends, we don't have a perfect church, but we do have a perfect Savior. And we're just going to keep pointing you to Jesus, not people. Preachers will let you down. Your community group leader will let you down. Your church staff will let you down. The music ain't always going to be what you like. You're not going to like construction. Oh, they're trying to get too big. Like, whatever it is, is the issue really the church or is the issue our hearts? Because at one point in your life, Jesus was enough. And when Jesus is enough, you're able to give grace to people that let you down or to institutions or churches that let you down. So what is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind right now? Just pay attention to that. And for any idol or sin that's coming to mind, I think the Spirit is calling us to confess and repent, okay? Now, for others, maybe no obvious sin is immediately coming to our mind. That's God's grace. I mean, look, not everybody is in stage one. Not everybody is living in open, unrepentant sin. 
Like some of you, you're, you're, you're walking with Christ. Not perfectly, of course, but I mean, you're, there's no outstanding sin that you're not fighting and turning from. But, but you got blind spots. So I'd love to go to this verse. I, rarely is there a time when I can't think of a sin to confess. I can't think of time that's ever been the case, honestly. But if you get to that point, you're like, no, I'm good. Nothing he said today. I ain't, I ain't doing all that stuff. Um, well, you go to Psalm 139. And you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal hidden sin. So here's what I want us to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's like, God, I know there's gotta be something ugly in there. So Holy Spirit, come and show me my sin. So here's what I want to do. The sermon's not quite over yet. Um, but let's just, Let's just stop now. Let me, let me stop talking for a while. Let's bow our heads. And let's just take a couple of minutes to process with the Holy Spirit what we've said so far. And then we're, we're going to come back and say a few more things, okay? So let's just be still. Let's not go, like, checking phones and stuff. Um, just bow before the Lord. Kenny's going to give us a little background music here just to help us not be distracted with things. Um, and just say, Spirit of God, is there any sin you're calling me to turn from at this time? Spirit of God, are there any idols you're calling me to turn from? And if that thing's immediately coming to mind, we're going to put that Psalm 139 verse on the screen. Just pray through that verse. Guys, let's just have a moment of holy conviction and confession with the Lord here. Let's take some time and do that. Father, we pause and listen, not to the voice of a preacher, but to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we pray with the psalmist, search us, O God, know our heart, try us and know our thoughts, see if there is any grievous way in us, lead us in the way everlasting. Spirit, help us to see our sin and to hate it and to turn from it. Expose our sin. God, if there is one of your children in this room who is holding on to some secret sin or hidden sin, or maybe it's not a secret but we're just not letting go of it. I pray for a holy discomfort, sweaty palms, twitching a leg, anxious heart, deep discomfort, want to crawl in a hole, want to leave, restless, angry at the preacher, defensive in our spirits. God, may that be the evidence that you are at work and that you love us too much to let us be comfortable in sin. So God, break us. Forgive this church and forgive this preacher of sleepiness and complacency and lukewarmness, and backsliddenness, 
and pride crush us. Don't let us leave in sin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do, I'm not gonna get through this sermon. I can already tell that. Uh, that's all right. Let, let's do stage two, and then we'll wrap it up with stage two. How about that? You're like, dang, if that was stage one, I do not look forward to stage two. He's uncovered Little League sports, drinking, and basketball. <laughs> what else is he going to do now? Man, I don't know. Good night. I didn't even see some of that stuff coming. I haven't talked about underage drinking ever, I don't think. But you know, you, you just sometimes the Lord's just like, ah, oh, that's what you need to say. And you just say what you need to say. And somebody needed to hear some of that stuff. Here's stage two. God's people sin and rebel in stage one. Then secondly, God's going to discipline his children, allow them to be taken over and oppressed by other nations. So in the first 13 verses of Judges chapter two, God's people rebel against God. That's stage one. But now in stage two, look at verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And God sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemy so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever God's people marched out, that is to war, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. That's God's discipline. When it feels like God is against you in a situation more, making it more difficult, that's God's discipline. As the Lord had warned, though, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So here's what's going on. Yes, God forgives us of our sin. This is why Jesus died. Past, present, future sins. Forgiveness at the cross of Christ. But, and it's a big but, God's forgiveness does not mean we can abuse his grace and live how we want and expect a bed of roses. Scripture does not teach that. So when we sin against God and rebel, that's stage one, we will endure the discipline of God. That's stage two. And God's discipline is not fun. In fact, it's very, very painful. I don't know that we talk about this enough as a church, God's discipline, because stage two is, I think, a very common stage in the Christian life. A chief means of sanctification for God's children is his discipline. That, that wasn't worded well. Another way to say that, one of the main things God will do to make us more like Jesus is to show us tough love and to get out the paddle, as it were, when we need it. Not because he hates us or wants to torture us, but because as does any good parent, 
Tough love is sometimes necessary. And our father is a perfect parent who loves his kids enough to discipline us. So what does that look like? How might one know if he or she is under the discipline of God? Well, first, I want to say this. It requires prayer and discernment from the Holy Spirit to know for under God's discipline. Because just because things are going bad or poorly in our life, or just because we can't catch a break, or maybe just because we get sick or something, doesn't mean we're under God's discipline. That's important to know. I don't want us to go around thinking all the time we're under the discipline of God. Uh, because sometimes life is really, really hard and we can't catch a break just because the world is cursed and fallen. Okay, sometimes other people sin against us, and that's why things are falling apart. Other times it's spiritual warfare. Okay, so don't assume that just because you're in a difficult spot right now that there's, there's some sin and God's disciplining you for that. Don't, don't assume that. You gotta pray and let discern. God, could this current dysfunction in my life be your discipline? But if we have been living in unrepentant sin, and what I mean by that is knowingly sinning against God and, and not really being convicted and trying to change that. So if we're living in unrepentant sin, we should assume we're under God's discipline. We should be surprised, in fact, if we're not. So what does that look like? It could just be things aren't working in our life. It could be relationships are rocky. We can't catch a break with our finances. It could be work stuff is just a wreck. It could be something physical going on with our bodies. You see that in the scripture. Sometimes God will use that as a disciplinary means. Maybe on the outside, we put on a happy face, but on the inside, we have no joy. I think that can be a sign of God's discipline. Maybe God even seems distant because our sin has hindered our fellowship with him. We can't lose our salvation because of sin, but we certainly can lose that close fellowship with the Father because Ephesians 5.30 says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Friends, we can make the Holy Spirit sad because of our sin, and when we make the Holy Spirit sad because of our sin, most of the time we're going to be sad too. Now, I want to handle this with care. Not always, but sometimes, what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression could be the result of our unrepentant sin. I want to say that again. Spiritual depression could be the result of unrepentant sin. Not always, but sometimes, the answer to our perpetual sadness is not a pill, it's repentance. And I say that with great gentleness as myself, having been one that has experienced depression and has taken medication and think it can be a good gift from God. There is a time and a place for medication. I want to be unequivocally clear about that as we have been here for 17 years as a church. However, other times, the spiritual, emotional, mental distress we're feeling, the inability to be happy, could be we're holding on to sin. And we've grieved the Holy Spirit that fills us. And if the Holy Spirit inside of us are sad, we're going to be sad too. You can't live in sin and experience the happiness of God. could be God's discipline. 
Hebrews chapter 12, God says to his children, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. As we're reading through this verse, let's just ask the Lord, God, is this me? If you want to close your eyes through this part, you can. If you want to, I know it doesn't matter, just this is a time to discern, God, am I under your discipline? Because I, if I am, I want to repent of the sin. God says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In other words, take it seriously, pay attention, don't assume you're not under God's discipline, nor be weary when reproved by him. In other words, don't get frustrated or mad at God or think he doesn't love you. Friends, he disciplines you precisely because he does love you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. So let's ask the Lord, God, am I under your discipline? It's good to know that if we are because it shows us what, what we got to work with. When we come under God's discipline, the temptation is to get mad at God and run away from him. But the invitation and discipline is to receive the uh, spanking, if you will, to keep with the metaphor, modern-day parenting terms, that receive the discipline of the loving Father and see it as an invitation to come back to him. Because God would not discipline you if he did not love you. And he loves you too much to let you stay in your sin, and God is willing to make a person miserable if that's what it takes to get us to repent. So view it as grace. God, this is very uncomfortable, but thank you that you would show me. God, thank you that you love me enough to spank me. Thank you that you love me enough to discipline me. God, that is so kind of you. You don't have to do that. All right, so I'm just going to abruptly end the sermon because we're going to go way over. And we start in three services next week, and I got to stop going over. All right, I got to train myself. Hit that clock back there. I'm already four minutes over. So let's bow our heads. How's that for an ending? A seminary preaching professor would be like, yeah, you just got an F. Like, no story at the end, no, you know, tying it all together. No, I don't have time for that. But, you know, the Lord has this for us. So let's, let's just bow our heads and let's go before the Lord in prayer. And here, here's the question you're asking the Holy Spirit. Here's the question I'm asking the Spirit. God, am I under your discipline? We're just going to sit in this for a few minutes. Father, am I under your discipline? And if so, God, show me the sin or sins that has caused the discipline. Okay, so you want to get to the root of it. What is the root sin? And you want to confess that to God and run to Christ. Christ has died for that sin. 
Friends, when God disciplines you, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he loves you. His anger for your sin was taken out on Christ at the cross. Receive love and grace and run to Jesus, who with open arms is saying, come to me. I'll be standing down here at the front. We've got ministry team members down here at the front as well, wearing lanyards. Please, we would love to pray with you. This altar is open. If you'd like to come, get on your knees before the Lord and pray. Take these next few moments with the Lord in repentance. And then Pastor Josh is gonna lead us as we sing. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.